Quick question. Anybody feeling tired this morning? <laughs> some hands raised, some just I, that's spelled P-S-S-S-T. I don't know what the word for that is. But, or maybe there's more of a P-H in there somewhere. Anyway, uh, anyone feeling exhausted to go along with that? I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, a trend that I think is pretty obvious in our culture. Uh, it seems that more than ever, people are tired. And it's not just that people are tired or exhausted, it's that tiredness or exhaustion or busyness is actually becoming a bit of a status symbol. So when you used to group, group, greet people in the 80s, you'd say, how you're doing? If you didn't want to give a real answer, or just it was, you're just you know, being cordial, you'd say, fine. How was your weekend? Fine. Now the go-to seems to be, how are you doing? How was your weekend? Busy. So busy. Uh, I read an article in the Washington Post that said this. Somewhere around the end of the 20th century, busyness became not just a way of life, but a badge of honor. And life, sociologists say, became an exhausting everydayathon. People now tell pollsters that they're too busy to register to vote, too busy to date, too busy to make friends outside the office, to take a vacation, to sleep, to have sex. As for multitasking, one 2012 survey found that 38 million Americans shop on their smartphones while sitting on the toilet. <laughs> Anne Burnett says, she's a professor, uh, if you're busy, you're important. You're leading a full and worthy life. If you're not as busy as the Joneses, you better get cracking. Now, my sense is that as true as that is, I, more and more people, this isn't working. Uh, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't work. Uh, it just leaves you feeling exhausted. You know, I also read some more articles that said that the biggest problem here might be goals. But the thing is, the more articles I read, the more opinions that I heard about goals. So if you look at one article, it'll say the problem, that we're, the reason we're getting exhausted is that our goals aren't big enough. If we had bigger goals, they would motivate us, and we would, keep, we would have the energy to keep going, and we wouldn't feel tired because we were working towards something important. I read another article that said we need like moderate goals that we can achieve because if we continue to have big goals and we don't reach them, then that's tiring and exhausting. And I read another article that said goals, why have goals at all? Be in the moment. The present is all you have and all that you can control. And how you experience it right now is what you've got. So where do you go from there? You know, at Mosaic, we've always had big goals. <laughs> you know, we dream of seeing our great city become even better. And to us, that means that we, we're, we're striving to translate the gospel, the message of Jesus, into compelling language and forms for everyday 21st century people so that they're intrigued, inspired, engaged, where the skeptical are compelled and the burned are healed. We're a community that understands that knowing Jesus is surpassingly great and puts the pursuit of him at the center of everything, knowing that if we find him, we find meaning, we find purpose, transcendence, we find life. We're a community that wants to take on the biggies, dismantling racism, inequality, division in our society, and build and participate in practical ways to see these things change. 
We strive to be a place of belonging that allows for weakness, brokenness, even sin, but is not satisfied with any of those. Where all are welcome and safe precisely because growth is expected and supported through accepting and loving relationships. Where everyone, everyone, gay, straight, any ethnicity, any age, everyone is welcome and can fully participate. I could go on. But to me, when I say these things, I get excited. I get energy from that. It encourages me. Then when I try and live them out, I get tired. <laughs> I don't think it's the goals, but I think there's something in between. I think it's fine and good for us to have things in our lives that we are hoping for, living for, even if they're bigger than us. But there's got to be something different in between so that as we pursue these things, we have a life that's full of joy and peace, satisfaction, even as we look to live for greater things. So in this series, we're looking at how we can live with purpose without burning out. And I think, and what I'm going to suggest to you for the next four weeks, and really for the next year, is that the key is developing spiritual depth. And by spiritual depth, I mean developing a deeper connection to something bigger that you can't work up on your own, but it's real and present and a sustaining reality. Do you want that? I read that and I go, yes, I need that. I don't feel like I always live with that. And so the next year of preaching for me is going to be what I'm trying to learn to do, the place I'm trying to find my way into. And we're going to start these four weeks by looking at someone who had really big goals. This guy's goals in the stories of the Bible is to call an entire nation away from other gods and other sources and back to the God of Israel, the Lord. That's a big goal. A whole nation turning and going a different direction. And he attacks this mission with gusto. I mean, when you hear these stories, you're going to see him go for it. There's no halfway with him. There's a lot of 100% types of words that describe him. And he almost, almost burns out. I mean, maybe he does burn out, actually. But he's able to come back from it and find a new way to live and a new way to connect to something bigger than him that then sustains him so he finishes well. So this is part one of the story. It's the story of Elijah. Uh, and I want to read it to you. It's a little bit long, I got to admit, uh, but it keeps moving. So let me read you the part one of the story of Elijah. This is taken from 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbit, Tishbite excuse me, from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab. Now, Ahab uh, was the king of Israel. He said, the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, this was sort of the thing, the backdrop that's going on here is that the nation of Israel has sort of turned away from worshiping the Lord, who called them out of Egypt, and they're worshiping this other God, primarily this God named Baal, or Baal. And Elijah is coming back and saying, look, to show you basically that there's nothing to Baal, that he can't do anything or provide anything for you. It's not going to rain for the next several years until I ask, until I give the word. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook 
and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went from the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a woman was there gathering sticks. And he called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that way we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the last day that the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come here to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, you have brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord, of Eli the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life was returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave her to his mother and said, look, your son's alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So there's a lot of action here. Uh, Elijah's a really bold dude. He talks right to kings and queens and tells them what he thinks God is saying, gives them the word of the Lord. And it's usually not what they want to hear. And so you'll find this pattern in his life where he's running for his life. And that's what we see here. But I think in this intense life that he leads, we also see what God does is provide for his needs, all of them, again and again and again. So this is part one of Elijah's story. And I love where we're starting today because I think this passage really asks us some deep questions that can help us see how we're doing spiritually. I think actually, if we pay attention, uh, it can really be an, an exercise in awareness of knowing where we are right now in our lives. It, it can work very much like a spiritual assessment, questions that you can ask yourself, that I can ask myself, to see how we're really doing. So the first question I think that we're invited to ask ourselves is, where's my hope? You know, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence at all that God closes the skies so it wouldn't rain. And the reason is this. Baal, the God that Israel is turning towards, 
was considered the god of thunderstorms and rain. And when the summer lingered on and crops began to dry up, followers of Baal would appeal to him for rain. One of the points I think God wanted to make is that he was the source for Israel of their life and their renewal. And you can see in other parts of the scriptures, James writes, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And I think what God wants the people of Israel to, to, to understand is that looking to something else will not provide the same good and perfect life and renewal that God can give. Baal couldn't meet the needs of the Israelites. Now sometimes, and some of you may have experienced this, or you may be experiencing it right now, Things we've always turned to to bring us life and renewal suddenly seem like they're drying up. They don't work. They don't give us enough. You know, in really stressful times, I think for a lot of people, the climate and the times we live in right now are very draining, very stressful in a way that they haven't been. And in really stressful times, the things that used to bring us peace, renewal, empowerment, maybe don't work as well. And this can actually, I think, be a real blessing because it can cause us to re-examine things and look for something more real or powerful or life-giving to fill our lives. I have a lot of broken approaches to trying to find and experience peace in my life. One of those, when I'm working, when I feel like I need a break, when I feel stressed out, can't think as well as I want, I'll turn to Facebook. Another one that works for me, or sort of works for me, fried chicken. Anyone get stressed out and you want some comfort, something to bring you peace? For me, it's fried chicken. I was raised eating fried chicken. I look for the best fried chicken restaurant everywhere that I go. That's one thing I turn to. Following the Chicago Cubs. I've done that for like, I don't know, 35 years. And, you know, you know think about that one. <laughs> Even expectations that I place on relationships in my life, like my spouse, like my friends. I turn to that. Or how about this? How well is the church doing? My job, my work. And we all have go-tos we turn to to build ourselves up, to provide relief, to help us feel okay. And a lot of them are actually the really good things. Not always, but a lot of them are good things. They can even provide some healthy benefits. But when good things become the thing, Everything starts to break down. And it's dry times that show us that. Anyone ever feel worse after checking Facebook than before? What would happen to me if I ate too much fried chicken? And I don't know if you know the history of the Cubs, but there's been a fair amount, maybe a little bit, of losing along the way. That's not always encouraging. And relationships that you lean on too much or that have a certain place in your life that's unhealthy become codependent. That doesn't work. Or you can lose your job or become a workaholic. Spiritual depth, actually connecting to something greater, meeting Jesus in a real right now sort of way. I'm suggesting today, and for this year really, that this can be, is the thing that makes the difference. That's the goal and the promise of spiritual depth. And all the things that you're looking to renew and empower your life, could their failures in dry times be God's attempt to get you to look to him in a new way?
Second question, am I listening? And one of the things Elijah seems to do really well in this passage is listen to God. So first he delivers God's message to Ahab. Then he hears God's instruction to hide in the desert. Then he hears God instruct him to go to Zarephath. What if? What if? God isn't interested in hiding his will for your life from you. What if the Spirit is speaking all the time? And the life of Elijah is going to suggest, as we go along, that indeed this is what's happening. That there's a gentle whisper in the air, in the atmosphere, in the universe that has something to say to us in any moment, at any time. Am I listening? How can I listen? What do you do to listen? Next question, am I too proud? You know, God provides for Elijah in ways that we might miss. So he uses ravens. Uh, in the Jewish law, ravens are unclean animals. So he uses unclean animals to bring food to the prophet Elijah. Then he sends Elijah into the heart of Gentile country. Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. And they're also unclean, according to the Jewish law. And he has a Gentile woman take him in and take care of him. My thought here is that God might want to use a method or a person that we consider beneath us to bring life to us. Or the struggle just might be admitting that we need God's help at all. You know, I grew up in a very conservative religious background. I was taught, whether people realized it or not, to avoid certain people, certain ideas, certain movies that weren't Christian in their worldview. And the folks around me would have not maybe called them unclean, but basically that's how they were treated. And when I went away to school to study, of all things, theater as a 17-year-old kid, I wouldn't work on plays that I didn't totally agree with the message of the play. Totally. If I thought there was some content in there that wasn't God-honoring or Christian or something, I wouldn't work on it. Until I started taking acting classes where you work on the plays they tell you to work on. And lo and behold, I discovered something. I'm working on these plays by the greatest playwrights in, in at least the Western world. Historic plays. I didn't always agree with everything in the plays. But man, could I learn a lot. The reason the, these playwrights were considered great is because they touched on something of what it meant to be human. From my mind, what it meant to be made in God's image. They got it in ways I didn't get it. They were geniuses in using the English language to touch people. And if I was going to learn to be a good actor, I needed to. These were my teachers. It blew my mind. God spoke to me through them. Refusing help from sources that we disdain or refusing to admit our need 
even to God, can plug up our ability to receive the depths of provision that Jesus has for us. We can miss God because he's speaking in a way we don't want to hear. The next question, am I generous? Isn't it interesting that as the widow in the story shared the little that she had, she was given so much more? Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I had a friend, speaking of theater school, uh, when I was attending theater school, I was also the security monitor at a chapel on campus. And I don't even know how we became friends, because at the time it seemed very normal. Of course, I had so much to share with the world and knew so much about life. Why wouldn't I become friends with, you know, a 60-year-old custodian like I had something to offer him who'd lived like 40 more years than me? But we had this relationship where we would talk about things, and we shared the same faith. So one day, Roy comes in, as was his name, and Roy was upset. Roy had, has one of those stories, one of those bootstrap kind of stories. Came over from Belize as an immigrant, um, worked a lot of jobs, worked very hard to take care of his family. Now he was a custodian at the chapel at Northwestern University. And one of the things that he always tried to do was give back, particularly to his community, so when other immigrants would come from Belize, he would help them, take them in. And at one point, uh, one of his new friends needed a car to get to work, had got a job, but needed a car to get there. Roy didn't have a lot of money, but he scraped up enough, I don't remember how much it was, so that his new friend could buy a car. So his new friend gets a car. Now, if you've ever been to Chicago, one of the stereotypes that's true about Chicago is it gets very cold in the winter, and it snows, and it's messy, and it's not fun sometimes. He came in, Roy, he was so mad one day. He said, Brad, you won't believe it. I can't remember the name of his friend. Let's call him Mr. X. You remember Mr. X? Did I help buy a car? He's like, I was walking to work. It's 20 degrees out. Snow and slush everywhere. And who comes driving along? Mr. X. Do you know what he does? He honks and waves. He was so hot. He had really given from out of almost a place of need to help someone get established and there was no appreciation, no understanding. Now, what was cool about Roy's story is, I don't remember a week later or so, like really not that long, uh, he comes in, he's got a really big smile on his face. It's like, Roy, what's up? Why are you so, you know, what's going on? He said, Brad, you won't believe it. Um, he said, my wife works for this family. She's been working for him for like five years. And yesterday, they said, hey, let's go for a drive. And they took a drive to the local car dealership, and her boss said, pick one. And so the man who sacrificed for someone who didn't appreciate so they could have like a, a quality but used car uh, got a brand new car right off the lot. It doesn't always work like that. It's not always one-to-one, -one, but sometimes it is. Sometimes the blessing, whatever you receive back, isn't in the same form. But I think the promises that whatever you give, 
whatever measure will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let's start easy. Am I generous? Here's a good question. <laughs> Am I a great tipper? <laughs> did I used to wait tables? Yes, I did. I think we all need a bracelet that says WWJT. What would Jesus tip? <laughs> Do I share my time with coworkers who need help or students who can't figure something out? Do I invest in myself? If you're a Christian in particular, do I, do I support what God's doing? Do I sacrifice to help build the kingdom of God? Do I tithe? To everyone, am I missing out on God's empowerment in my life because I have a closed fist holding tightly to what is mine and also closed to receive what God would give me? What, here's a question, what type of generosity would stretch me wherever I am right now? What would be the thing that would make me slightly uncomfortable? How can I do that thing? How can I lean into that? How can I have to exercise a little bit of faith? Generosity can release the experience of God in our lives, and a lack of generosity can plug it up. The last question, will I trust God with what I love? This story, I think, is as much or more about a woman's journey of faith as it is Elijah. And it's clear throughout the story that she does have faith. Like, she takes risks. She takes risks with her food right off the bat the flour and the oil, but there's a part of her that seems to still doubt Elijah and, and God. And I think this comes out after Elijah has brought her son back to life by the power of God. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now here's what I think may have been happening. I don't know, but in my mind's eye, I imagine, you know, Elijah lived with her for a while. And I think as he was living there, I wonder if he was telling her stories about God. You know, maybe, maybe he tells a story about the ravens. I can't imagine he wouldn't have brought that up. That was pretty crazy. I'm sure he told her that God told him that he was going to meet a widow, she would take care of him. Maybe he told her stories about how God cared for her and wanted to bless her and show his kindness to her. And the widow is hearing this, but for some reason, maybe because of the shame she alludes to when she says, talks about her sin and being concerned that God wanted to punish her. Maybe because of that, or maybe because of some negative experience maybe she had with other Jewish people. Or maybe she just felt judged. But whatever the case, she was willing to trust God with some things, but not ready to trust in other areas. And the thing is, I think, real depth comes when we can trust with the things that matter the most, things that we love. It was when this widow saw God restore her son that she believed. What are the areas that are difficult for you to trust God with? Maybe those are the areas where there's the potential for real spiritual depth, where it's scary, where the stakes are high. And if we want depth depth and the peace and joy that comes with it so that no matter what era in history we're living in, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can have a sense of being solid 
move forward in a stable way, experiencing peace and joy in a real way. If that's what we want, I think God might want to access that area of your life too. There's another way to think of it. What is your sacred cow? The thing that is off limits, protected from everyone. What is the biggest fear in your life? If Jesus can get in there and make a difference, that'll change your whole life. That's where depth happens. Trust in that place. And that's a little scary. But what type of peace do we want to live with? Surface? Religious? Or real? So, let's go back over this assessment. I'll give you five questions for you and me to consider. And I'm just going to read them slowly to give you a moment to think to sort of sit with them. I've got your bulletin. You can even write some notes if you make some realizations or God speaks to you. But let me just read them to you. If you want to close your eyes, you can. You want to keep them open. Where is my hope? Am I listening? Am I too proud? Am I generous? Am I willing to trust God with what I love? How you doing? So we're going we're gonna to be sitting with developing spiritual depth a long time this year. It's important. I think people are feeling it. Maybe you're feeling it, it you, you just don't feel settled and not known what it was. I'm going to suggest that part of it might be spiritual depth. Maybe the whole thing. So as we just had a few moments to sit with these questions, which one stands out to you? as the area you have the most opportunity to grow. Or another way to think of it is to ask, which area do you want to skip over quickly and not really think about? That's the one. And today, let's just start praying to Jesus about that one. Start making some space in our lives to listen. What might Jesus have to offer 
or be asking you to do? How can you stretch yourself, reach out to him in that area? And with that in mind, let's, let's stand for a moment. And what I want to do is I want to pray a simple prayer over you. Because my hope is that this year is going to be a year of really experiencing the Holy Spirit. And really experiencing things that are real and lasting and difference-making. That go beyond what we do, speak to who we are, and connect us and root us. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for you. Maybe just, if you want to, close your eyes. That helps you focus. And I don't want you to do anything. I'm just going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to rest on you. Maybe just to say, hey, I'm here and I love you. Not to say get your act together. And we're just going to, I might pray a little bit, but we might just be quiet for a little bit. And that's okay. And it might be too long for some of you. Feel a little weird. That's okay. It will be over. Let me pray for you. Father, you promised through Jesus how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Everyone in this room, we need you. We need the reality of you, not the idea or the theology of you. So Holy Spirit, come. Rest on us. Fill us with your presence. Some of you are actually experiencing something of the presence of God right now. It might feel like a weight on your chest. It might feel like a warmth. It might feel like a tingling. It might feel like something else. I want to pray for you. God, just increase. And for some of you, it can be helpful to make an outward display of openness. If you want to, you can put your, some people are doing this, you can put your hands out. There's nothing magic about that. It just gives you something to do. Say, I'd like more of your presence, Jesus.